happiness. Everyone is looking for it, but we look for it in all the wrong places. What if we had a guide that showed us what John Wesley called the complete art of happiness? We do. Join us this fall as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. One sermon that changed the world. We worry about our past. We worry about the present. We want God to fix it and fix it now, but we worry so much we can't get the words right. We worry about our future. It seems almost cliche for a preacher to give this advice, say a little prayer. But that's precisely what I want to say to you this morning. When we worry about the present, about our past, about our future, and we don't know what to say or how to say it, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He offers us words and he encourages us to say a little prayer. Are you ready for it? Give us, forgive us, deliver us. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts or sins, as we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A preacher who was known for his long sermons once noticed somebody who got up in the middle of the sermon and walked out the back. When the preacher was standing in the back greeting people at the end of the service, he noticed that man had come back. He said, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice that you got up in the middle of my sermon. Why did you get up? And he said, I went to get a haircut. And he said, well, why in the world didn't you do that before you came to the church? And he said, I didn't need one then. Now, I've got some good news for you. This is not going to be a long sermon. I felt convicted when I read the text for this morning. Jesus begins by talking about those who are known for their many words and then says, don't be like them. Only Jesus isn't talking about preachers here. He's talking about prayers. When I was a kid sitting in the pew on Sunday morning, I would have told you that the only thing worse than a preacher who preaches too long is a prayer that goes on too long. Oh, fighting to stay awake. I mean, I, you asked me to close my eyes and then you begin this snoozer of a prayer. Perfect storm. And some of those long prayers telegraphed that they were nowhere near the end. Like that one I remember when I was a kid. Something of a commentary on the Lord's Prayer. 
He didn't just say the words. He had to make comments on each line and then apply them to every single thing in his life and every single person he knew. The problem was that I had memorized the Lord's Prayer in Bible class. So I knew that I was in trouble when the guy who had already been up there for what seemed like eternity said, and Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I knew we were only at halftime. At least it could have, you know, had the courtesy to give us a bathroom break or something. Long prayers. You know, I'm joking, of course. There is no sin in a long prayer. You've prayed long prayers, haven't you? When you get the call that you've been dreading for weeks, the test results are in. You have cancer. The bills have been piling up and now the bank sends the foreclosure notice. They're coming to take possession of the house. You're awakened with the startling message. She's been in an accident. It doesn't look good. Oh, we've prayed long prayers, haven't we? The book of Psalms was the songbook of the early church. The songbook. And there are some long prayers in there, aren't there? Try taking a look at Psalm 119. But I warn you, you have to turn a lot of pages before you finish it. When we have so much to be thankful for, or when we feel so much pain that we just want to pour out our hearts to God. Jesus isn't condemning long prayers. He's talking about showiness. People who, who want to be seen, to, be, to show off. But I do think that it's helpful sometimes to remember that God knows everything. My friend Noah Whitlock over at College Church got this line from his college professor, and he loves it. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? I mean, he knows everything before we ask. So when you don't know what to say or when you don't have the words to say it, you don't have to go on long. Some of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible are incredibly short. Psalm 119 has got 176 verses, but the Psalm 117, just two before it, it's got just two. Just 28 words in my Bible. A 10-second prayer. I can think of some extremely powerful ones that were even shorter. One of my favorites is only three words long. Jesus had a group of followers known as disciples. And they were in a boat out in the middle of the sea in the middle of a storm. And right then, looking out over the horizon, they saw Jesus walking on the water, walking on the sea. Some of them thought it was a ghost. But Jesus told them not to worry. It's me. One of the disciples named Peter said, if it's really you, Lord, command me. Give me the power to step out of this boat and come to you. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. Pretty amazing, right? What a spiritual eye. Have you been there? I imagine many of you in this audience this morning have, have been there. 
Times when you felt so close, so connected to God. You saw his power at work in every inch of your life. You felt so good you could walk on water. But then Peter felt the wind. He saw the rain. He heard the thunder. He noticed the waves. Have you been there? When the weight of the world comes crashing down on your shoulders, the burden is so strong that you just sink under the weight of it all. Peter began to sink. It's in those scary moments, perhaps the scariest moments of our lives, that we want to cry out to the God who knows us, but we don't know what to say, or we don't have the words to say it. And if that describes you, take comfort in knowing that Peter's prayer at this moment works. Jesus came to his rescue, lifted him out of the troubles, but Peter's request was only three words. Lord, save me. In our text this morning, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. I'm so grateful that the Lord taught us how to pray. I've looked through my Bible and I don't see where Jesus was asked how to preach. He wanted them to preach. He sent his spirit to empower them and guide them to preach. And he taught them truths that they would later preach. But the text never says the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to preach. The text never says that he taught his disciples to sing. They did sing. They sang a hymn after the Lord's Supper. But in Luke 11, Luke's parallel account to our own text this morning, we find Jesus praying. His disciples are waiting for him to finish. And when he had finished, they reflected on what they just witnessed. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. It must be important. But it seems so hard sometimes, doesn't it? Especially when we don't know what to say or we don't know how to say it. The worries of this life can beat us down. And that's when we want to pray. But the anxiety can be so overwhelming, robbing us of our words. We worry about the present. Do I have enough money to pay rent this month? Why is my child acting up and acting out so much at school? Is, is something wrong with her? Why isn't my medicine working? Because I'm taking it regularly, but I still hurt. We want God to fix it and fix it now, but we worry so much we can't get the words right. We worry about our past. It's been 18 years since that affair. Your spouse forgave you. You went to counseling, and they haven't brought it up since. You moved to a new town, you even got a new job, and life seems to be going fine. But you can't stop replaying that shame and guilt in your mind. Maybe you're empty nesters now. The kids seem to be all right, and they have family of their own. But your negative self-talk still keeps you up at night. Should I have spanked them? Did I spank them too much? Did I start that too early? Do they even remember that accident that scared them and scared me half to death? 
Did it traumatize them? I know they never say it, but do they still hold a grudge against me for how I handled that prom fiasco? And the mistakes, oh, the mistakes. We worry about the past. We worry about our future. I'm stuck in a dead-end job. I, I can handle it now, but will this be my life 10 years from now? Is this as good as it gets? We've, we've dealt with some rocky times in our relationship. We're holding it together now with, with duct tape and fingers crossed. But where are we going to be in five years? I'm looking at my retirement account, if you, if you want to call it that. I mean, with a balance that low, can you even call that a retirement account? Will we ever have enough to enjoy retirement or just to live in retirement? We worry about our future. It seems almost cliche for a preacher to give this advice, say a little prayer. But that's precisely what I want to say to you this morning. When we worry about the present, about our past, about our future, and we don't know what to say or how to say it, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He offers us words and he encourages us to say a little prayer. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Give us. Forgive us. Deliver us. To meet our needs in the present, give us this day our daily bread. To cover our mistakes in the past, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To empower our future, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, prayer is not the opposite of action. It is action. It's the front lines of the battle. There's still hand-to-hand combat to do, still work to be done as the Spirit gives us power. Asking God to give us this day our daily bread means we don't go borrowing trouble by storing up for ourselves bread for tomorrow. Asking God to forgive us of our wrongs means we also have to go about forgiving others. Asking God to lead us and to deliver us means we follow His lead. We don't act like the boy hanging backwards off his father's shoulder as the dad walks away, the boy still reaching out for the thing the father is pulling him away from. I can see lots of reasons why Jesus' speech goes in this order in Matthew 6. Pray like this. Don't care about money. You don't have to worry. I see reason and logic in that, don't you? Pray first. Pray for God to give us, forgive us, and deliver us. Know that God, your God, is on your side and he's on his way. And if so, don't turn to another God for your security and comfort, like money or clothes and possessions that you buy with money. Without meaning to, without knowing it, you'll be contradicting your prayer. And you'll be adding more things to worry about. It doesn't seem like it. We worry about money. We seem to never have enough. We worry about food. Will we have enough to feed our children? We worry about our clothes. Do I know the latest styles? Will I ever fit in? But it's all an illusion. The more money we have, the more we worry. Because with ability comes opportunity and awareness. 
And once we buy the house next to the Joneses, we discover all the furniture, the cars, the boats, and the clothes that belong to the Joneses. And once we acquire those, then we learn about the second home and the 401k and the vacations to Cabo. More breeds more. And it's not always good. So remember our prayer. We're asking God to relieve us of our worries. Give us, forgive us, deliver us. We don't worry about food. For God gives us today our daily bread. We don't worry about money. For God forgives us of our debts. We don't worry about whether we can keep up with fashion and fortune or fame. (coughs) For the Lord will deliver us from such addictions. You prayed, says God. You aren't turning to other gods, so don't worry. You're taken care of. I love that Jesus tells us all of that, but he doesn't begin with that. Look at this trick up his sleeve. Before telling us to pray, give us, forgive us, deliver us, he teaches us this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first lines aren't about you and me at all. They aren't about our stressors or our worries. They aren't about the children or the retirement account, the job or the journey. They're about God, a good God, a God who has plans to make everything right and a confidence that he is who he says he is. Some of you may have learned an ending to this prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You won't find that in Matthew's gospel. That actually comes from the Old Testament. It's on the lips of David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Do you know why this concluding prayer of David was attached in church tradition to the Lord's prayer? I think I know why. If thine is the kingdom, and we long for the kingdom to come in its fullness then we really are asking for you, Father, for you to come. It's fitting, isn't it? That the prayer should begin and end, not with you and me, but with God to come. So maybe the whole prayer can be reduced to two words. Father, come. Come to think of it, That's very close to the final prayer that Paul uses in one of his letters. His two-word prayer is Maranatha, which means, Lord, come. Or John's three-word prayer that almost ends the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. And he will. He sees you in the storm. He knows your every need. Before you ask, if you're drowning in a sea of misery, rest assured he's on his way and he will save. But what about you? 
Just as he is on his way to you, he bids you to come to him. Step out in faith and reach for his hand. When you do, you'll find that he calms the waters. In his hands, you're not lost and tossed in the billowy waves. You're safe and able to drink deeply of the spirit of peace. All of this is given to you in the waters of baptism. We enter in with full assurance of faith and we rise anew aboard his fellowship. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life at no cost. So for all of us who love his appearing, I close this sermon with a prayer, a prayer of anguish for all the pains that you're going through, a prayer of hope that God will accomplish his good pleasure and that you'll see it and rejoice, and a prayer of thanksgiving to a God who's already on his way to work it. Lord, come. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.